Hi there, welcome back to the podcast. In the last episode on insomnia, I described exactly what insomnia is, what it isn't, and what the different flavors are of insomnia. Today, we're going to move past this, and we're going to discuss exactly how chronic insomnia disorder is typically diagnosed. And I'll also tell you about how it isn't diagnosed. (laughs) I know that sounds strange to tell you about how we don't diagnose something, but I'll explain in a little bit. So let's get started. The diagnosis of chronic insomnia disorder is based on a set of clinical rules. And as you'll see, they are a rather extreme set of rules. Now, it can be somewhat different in different countries, but in general, the diagnosis of insomnia confirms the following three things. First, you have to have an experience with difficulties falling asleep, difficulties staying asleep, or not being refreshed or restored by your sleep. And those things we discussed in the last episode. The second aspect of the diagnosis of insomnia is that you have to experience these things, these problems in terms of sleep, for at least three nights every week. And then third, you have to be having those three times a week issues for at least three months straight back to back. Gosh, (laughs) I've always thought that that's a lot of suffering for a person to go through for really quite a long period of time before receiving a diagnosis. And many of the clinicians that I know, I think, feel similarly about that. And the concern there is that it's such a stringent criteria, it's such a high threshold, that it ends up leaving quite a large proportion of people left out in the diagnostic cold, as it were. Nevertheless, they're still having a really hard time with their sleep. Thankfully, however, most clinicians and doctors that I know are incredibly sensitive to this and they're very sympathetic in terms of working with these rules. But coming back to the issue of diagnosis, understandably, you may think that insomnia is diagnosed by you coming into a sleep laboratory and having wires or electrodes placed all over your head and then magically in those sleep recordings at night emerges a very clear signature of an insomnia diagnosis. That is not true. In fact, some time ago, a really nice meta-analysis, which is, uh, we've spoken about this before, I think, it's a, it's a method where scientists sort of pool together all of the individual studies and look at the big picture. And they looked at over 20 different sleep laboratory studies of people either with insomnia or people who are healthy, good sleepers. And by the way, we call that sleep laboratory assessment a polysomnographic study. If you want to break it apart, poly means that we record multiple signals. Actually, I should probably do a future episode that is entirely dedicated to what is involved when you come into a sleep laboratory. I'll do that. That's, I'm going to make a mental note. Sorry for the, <laughs> the diatribe here. But poly firstly tells you that we're recording multiple signals. Graphic, in terms of the end part of the polysomnographic 
name simply means a readout or a graph. And somno, of course, is after the Greek god somnus. So it's a graph of sleep that involves multiple signals, polysomnography. Anyway, I'll tell you all about that later and I'll probably repeat that. But getting back to that big meta-analysis that summarized all of the sleep laboratory recordings across those insomnia individuals, there were far fewer differences in the sleep recording measures in people with insomnia relative to healthy good sleepers than you would ever imagine. In fact, people with insomnia, they did sleep a little bit less than healthy good sleepers, but not by very much. And the insomnia patients also did spend a little bit more time awake, but again, nothing extraordinary. Now, to be fair, there were some observed reductions in the amount of deep non-REM sleep or slow-wave sleep that insomnia patients were having, and also some changes in their REM sleep. But again, it wasn't something of mesmerizing, shocking, sore thumb standout, as it were. And clearly, not differences that would be fitting with the degree of suffering and complaint that we know insomnia patients will go through in terms of their sleep each and every night. So what does this tell us? Well, the minimal amount of differences that we can see in terms of sleep laboratory recordings between insomnia patients and those who are having good nights of sleep is not by any means at all to suggest that the condition of insomnia is a fake condition or that we don't believe the patients when they say that they are struggling with sleep. Indeed, in science and medicine, we very much do believe that they are suffering and we very much do believe that they have this condition. Instead, what the results of that meta-analysis simply mean is that the way that insomnia is best quantified isn't necessarily by placing electrodes on someone's head and measuring all of their different sleep minutes and sleep stages. So think of it a little bit like trying to measure how much light that there is around you right now. But you're trying to measure how much light by using a thermometer. <laughs> now, a thermometer is really great at telling you what temperature is surrounding you right now, but it isn't an especially good measure of telling you how much light you're being exposed to. And insomnia is a little bit like that when it comes to these sleep laboratory recordings and their utility when we just bring someone in for a single night. So instead of having patients come into the sleep laboratory, the doctor will usually use a sophisticated set of clinical scales to start to quantify the insomnia. And one very good example here is something called the Insomnia Severity Index, or what we call the ISI for short, which you can find on the internet if you're curious. And then in combination with those types of clinical assessment scales, the doctor will also have you complete a series of sleep diaries that you as the patient will be filling out each and every morning for maybe a week or two weeks as you wake up each day. And then they'll also use some very well-validated clinical interviews. And it's a combination of all of these different things, lots of different interview assessments and scales, 
and the sleep diary information that the patient is providing, when you collide and bring all of those together, that's how your clinician or your doctor will ultimately make the diagnosis of chronic insomnia disorder. The sponsors supporting today's podcast are Inside Tracker and Athletic Greens. Now, Inside Tracker is a service that comes to your home, as they have done for me in the past, and then they will analyze your blood and your DNA to know precisely what is happening inside of you regarding a whole variety of important varied blood, metabolic, and hormonal health metrics. And in addition to the results that they provide you, they will also give you now a personalized set of recommended lifestyle changes to better optimize your health. So you can use the link insidetracker.com forward slash mattwalker and you will get a significant uh, and healthy discount off your first purchase. So head on over, that's insidetracker.com forward slash Matt Walker. And the second partner of today's podcast is Athletic Greens. Now, I'm sure you've heard of them from lots of uh, famous folks out there. Athletic Greens is a nutrition drink, and it contains a very complete set of antioxidants and minerals, uh, essential vitamins and biotics. And I've been buying Athletic Greens for some time for really a quite simple reason. I wish to invest in my health. And whilst I do eat in a healthy manner, I'll still invest in essentially a, a sort of a full nutritional health insurance coverage plan, as it were. My goodness, that's a mouthful, Matthew. So head on over to athleticgreens.com forward slash Matt Walker, and you will get money off your first order. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs. So if you use that link, athleticgreens.com forward slash Matt Walker, you'll unlock all of those benefits. So thanks for exploring and supporting the podcast by way of exploring those sponsors. It's just ever so helpful. I really do appreciate it. And now let's get back to the episode. So that hopefully gives you a sense of the broad brushstrokes of what will happen as you get walked through this path of a possible diagnosis of insomnia and usually what will not be happening to you in terms of a diagnosis. And it's not to say that sleep laboratory recordings can't be useful in the context of insomnia. They can, but often it starts through different methods rather than a direct sleep laboratory test. And by the way, that mismatch between a general lack of sensitivity of using sleep laboratory recordings versus what the patient is actually complaining about and how those two things don't really seem to fit together, that the sleep laboratory recordings seem to show not too much going on, but the patient is saying, oh my goodness, my sleep is it's terrible, I feel awful the next day. It can actually be illustrated by an extreme example of a very dramatic mismatch between what the patient is telling you in the morning versus what the sleep laboratory recordings are telling you in the morning. It turns out that there is a very rare variant or a subtype of insomnia that I've not told you about so far, and it is called sleep state misperception. And it's also known by the term 
paradoxical insomnia. And here, if you interview the insomnia patient, they will tell you that night after night after night, they're just sleeping terribly. Perhaps they'll say, look, across my eight hours of time in bed, I may be only sleeping for an hour, maybe two hours maximum. So then you bring the patient into the sleep laboratory, and these are the studies that have been done, and those are the studies that I'm describing. And the patients have their sleep monitored objectively using those electrodes placed on their head in different parts of their body. And doing that, you can assess how much sleep the person was getting in the different stages of sleep. And then the next morning when they wake up, the clinician will interview them and you'll say, tell me how you felt about your sleep last night. And the patient will respond, what do you mean? Could you not see it? I slept terribly. I was awake for most of the night. But when we look at the sleep recordings themselves, they tell a very, very different story. In fact, sometimes those recordings will even indicate that that patient has slept a completely full, quiet, normal night of sleep. But that's not what the patient is telling you in the morning. The patient has a subjective perception of their night of sleep that is very different to the objective recordings of their actual sleep. And it's a mismatch here, hence the term sleep state misperception, and also then the contradictory naming that it's sometimes called, which is paradoxical insomnia. In other words, the patient is suffering from a paradoxical belief or an incorrect perception that their sleep is far worse than it actually is. Now, of course, back in the early days, you can imagine these patients were just dismissed and they, there's nothing wrong with you. Go home, everything's fine. You can see it right here. But science and medicine no longer takes that dismissive approach. We don't think that the patient is lying anymore. Instead, we understand that there is simply this mismatch going on, that they have a misperception of sleep. And that term misperception may seem dismissive or it may seem condescending, but trust me, it's taken very, very seriously, or at least it should be, by the right sleep clinician or the right sleep doctor. And the reason, of course, is because the patient has a sleep disorder. They feel miserable about their sleep and they feel unrefreshed by it the next day. And while there is no standard treatment plan specifically for paradoxical insomnia, there are a number of potential treatment options that are usually provided to those patients. Many of them we'll cover in the last episode on insomnia, where we speak about how clinicians and doctors approach treating chronic insomnia disorder. So taking a step back then, what have we covered today? Well, we've described how clinicians will take someone who is struggling with sleep and move that patient through a path of diagnosis, making sure that we understand what it is that they're complaining about and making sure that we exclude other things that could be causing that insomnia. Now, in our next episode, as importantly, or maybe even more importantly for you, the listener, we're going to discuss the following question. What is the stepping stone chain reaction that leads you, the patient, to ultimately develop this thing that we call chronic insomnia? 
That's what we'll speak about in the next episode. For now, though, I will wish you full and restorative and, of course, non-paradoxical perception of good sleep tonight. Please take care of yourself and bye for now. 